What do we do when we find ourselves up against the many leadership challenges that exist within our chosen careers? We all have goals and achievements that we would like to accomplish. Unfortunately, these desires don't come equipped with insight or awareness on how to bring these accomplishments to light. In essence, this is why the Dream Octane Niche Finder Framework was formed. Our founder, Clifton C. Manning, spent the first 17 of his 20-year career in healthcare working with physicians and healthcare leaders to achieve patient-centric goals while possessing only an associate's degree in applied science. At times, these challenges were daunting, and he felt unqualified to achieve the success he wanted. However, he focused on becoming intentional in reading every leadership book that he could find, as well as attending frequent seminars in areas where he saw opportunities to improve. Over time, as he applied insights gained from these various sources, he was able to successfully and efficiently cross the hurdles he found himself up against. Eventually, varying degrees of success within his sphere of leadership influence became more evident. The Niche Finder podcast is intended to bring similar insight to you, the listener, from those who have achieved some level of noteworthy success in their chosen career. Our hope is that the challenges they have overcome in the past will provide insight for your current leadership struggles and unlock the dream of achieving success in your own career. We believe that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dreams and abilities could be its fuel. And now I present to you the host of the Niche Finder podcast, Clifton C. Manning. Welcome you to this version of the Niche Finder podcast. Today we are privileged to have Marianne Snow on the program today. She is the owner and founder of Sophia and also the Remote Nations Institute. She actually helps people who are working remotely and working outside of the office, the four walls of a cubicle or even an office building. She was doing this way before COVID even happened. So right now we have our old modern day Nostradamus in this remote operating space (laughs) because she's been doing this for quite some time and we just privileged to have her on today in the midst of, I would say, this world crisis that we went through. Her niche actually rose to the top because where there's great need, great resources, oftentimes appear out of nowhere and so we want to thank you and welcome you to the program Marianne Snow thank you for joining the program well I'm delighted to be here Cliff and I'm not really sure I'm Nostradamus but I (laughs) I can tell you that before COVID you know I spent a lot of time educating people and after COVID everybody thought I was a genius right but Mm -hmm. uh, you know but at the same time people have been working in a a distributed work state for a really long time you know so it's actually much more prevalent but covid really kind of put it front and center for the world wow so why would the audience have a vested interest in your journey i think one of the reasons that my story is an interesting story is because I'm pretty typical. I I have a very non-linear career path, you know, and as a kid, I was interested in lots of things, but at the same time, I wasn't sure where I fit, right? So, so many times we're we're kind of going through our lives and, and we're not quite sure where we fit. And I really fell into my career by just being curious and always saying yes people saying hey i have this opportunity do you want it and and me saying yeah i'll do that 
um, when I had probably no business saying I would do it, you know, because of my background. But in the end, I had the privilege of really kind of being forefront to a lot of cool and really interesting things, mostly because I was so curious to try things that I kept saying yes, even though I was kind of scared. Mm. Did you have any internal struggles at the start of your career? Absolutely. And I think part of that had to do with a couple of things. I worked in industries that were very male dominated. So there were time periods where I was the only woman in the room. And that was really hard because I was younger than most. I was a girl and I had to come to terms with that. I had to actually see that as as not a not a failing or a negative, but I had to see it as an opportunity to differentiate because I didn't have to worry about people remembering me because I was the only person in that space, right? And so I interacted with a lot of women who were younger than me, and I really came to understand that it was my job to role model, be a role model, and also to use my platform to to help elevate others. Mm. What roadblocks did you run into? Well, I think one of the first things is... is, is <laughs> Some of the first things that I ran into was folks just questioning your capability to be able to get the job done or wondering why you got the job in the first place, right? So, and this is well before Me Too. This is well before there was a lot of women in leadership positions in, in business. And so there you know, you had to put up with a lot of crap, <laughs> to be mm-hmm. quite honest with you, because everyone had an opinion and lots of people made assumptions. And to be honest with you, people were not as thoughtful uh, about how they expressed those opinions. Mm. Did you have any mentors? I was really lucky. My very first boss was a fabulous guy. And he was fabulous because he he was as curious as I was, but he was willing to take chances. And he took a young, pretty inexperienced person and he saw beyond my lack of work history, but he saw something in me brought me into the into you know that work context gave me lots of opportunities and then he gave me lots of run room and initially you know he struggled because he saw how much crap i was putting up with and i think some part of him wanted to to you know run interference for me and i said no if you run interference for me then you're going to be running interference for me forever and i need to learn mm-hmm. how to do this myself and he backed me. He gave me that opportunity to learn how to stand on my own two feet and also to support me even when people were not always professional in how they handled things. Wow. 
You know, as we were talking a little bit offline, and I appreciate you being transparent about that part of your journey, I find it so ironic, like you were telling me that once the pandemic hit and after it hit, now all these people who are just stepping into this remote operating world that we now found ourselves thrust into, they were coming across as if they had all of this experience. And then you were saying that they were teaching. Tell me a little bit about that and how did you navigate that? So it was kind of interesting because clearly this type of <clears throat> this type of work has been happening for a really long time. And so certainly you have people who have been engaged in remote or distributed teamwork and they've been getting connected to the gig economy. And there's even a subset of people who call themselves remote nomads who travel the world. A lot of them are technology folks or folks who work in in the types of jobs that have been executed online for a really long time. And, and suddenly they were popping up saying, oh, we know how to do remote work. And a lot of their background was working as individual contributors and they weren't necessarily set up to be able to answer questions about how do you engage a team? How do you build trust among groups of people? How do you manage in in a, a corporate operating structure? How do you hold people accountable? How do you discipline people? How do you reward people? How do you promote people? How do you how do you do those things? And we had already been doing that for years. And so what ended up happening was we started having conversations with lots and lots and lots of different people. And when I say people, all sorts of different, uh, we, we talked to national organizations, international organizations. We talked to folks who had been our customers for a long time, but we also went out and had conversations with professional organizations who were struggling to give their members good advice. We talked all sorts of, we gave all sorts of public service speeches. We were doing emergency webinars. We were doing everything we could to get solid practical information out to organizations that were really struggling. You know, when you talk about someone and I can hear all the expertise that you have compiled over the years, right? And when you compare yourself or if someone compared themselves to what you're doing, it reminds me of a quote by Gregory Norcraft. And this, he was actually teasing out the dynamic between experience and expertise, which we oftentimes confuse. And his quote is, the difference between experience and expertise is that expertise is having a predictive model that works. And so when you think about your model, like now into the young whippersnappers who's coming into this game, thinking that they have all of this information, what model do you use that helps you to manage some of these remote teams in a way that makes you valuable? You know, and it's very interesting you say that because as a result of the pandemic, I was asked to write a book on the topic. And in September of 2022, my book, The Remote Work Handbook, was published by Francis and Taylor. Thank you very much. And so, you know, when you say operating model, what it really kind of boils down to is there's the plain fact is, is that there have been business frameworks for operating in traditional brick and mortar 
environments as long as there have been offices. And there's lots of different books on this topic, right? You and I could spend millions and millions of hours just kind of talking about all the people who have written leadership books and business books and how to win and good to great and whatever. I mean, there's there's thousands of them, right? But now the question is, what do you do when people aren't sitting in the same physical space, when you don't have line of sight, when you have to do all that stuff, but you're going to have to do it mostly through technology? How do you build relationships? How do you create trust? And and so what we did was I had spent 15 years interviewing people all over the world who engaged in this kind of work. Some formal interviews and some, you know, ad hoc interviews. And I took all their best practices and crafted it into a framework that really outlines some very specific steps that you can take to build a safe place where people can work in these teams and understand what you're going to hold them accountable to, that they can be successful, that they can be highly engaged. And and that's what we put in the book. We actually, you know, created a book that gives you a step-by-step opportunity to run a distributed or remote, you know, whatever you call it, virtual organization and to do it highly effectively. Mm. So that's what I consider to be your journey. And this next segment that I want to talk about is what I consider to be your niche. <laughs> and this boils down into five different categories. It's the first one is your passions. The second is what do you do that feels purposeful? The third is patterns or what you do naturally well. Proficiencies is the fourth one, what you've learned to do well over time. And then the last one is problem solving or problem finding whatever one is most valuable for the moment that you're helping somebody. So going back up to the top, when we talk about passions, what do you do that when you do it, you feel ignited? You know, people interest me. I think people are are the most interesting and the hardest thing. I I think building connection, you know, a very dear friend of mine taught me that everybody's just a friend we've never met. And having that mindset has allowed me the privilege of creating relationships with folks from all over the world who have very different backgrounds, who have very different experiences than me, but I focus on what I can learn from them, but also what value we have together. And so my passion really has to do with how we connect as human beings, how we can find a pathway together because I think life is really hard and I think we need each other. And I don't presume to know what other people's experiences are, but that doesn't make me less comfortable in my own areas of expertise and in my own belief that I have something to bring to the table that's you know, a worthwhile contribution. So it's like, how do we work together to create something magical? Mm. What do you do that feels purposeful? What do you do that when you do it, you feel like I was made for this moment? You know, at my heart, Cliff, I'm a teacher. And, and so, you know, I, uh, and and I'm a curious person, so I'm a lifelong learner, so, and I'm also a teacher. And so the things that make me feel passionate and also purposeful are how can I share 
my life experiences or create a safe space where I can bring a group of people together so that we can have honest discourse about stuff. And even when it's hard or even when it's in non-traditional ways, whether it's trying to build a, a discourse in virtual environments or face-to-face -face environments, whatever it is, and how do I do that in a way that honors the people that I'm working with? But the other thing is also challenges me to, to continue to evolve my thinking and not stay in the same place so I can learn and grow along with the people that I'm working with. So it's the mm. teaching and the learning. Mm. What patterns do you have? What do you do naturally well? I think the thing that I do naturally well is I notice things. You know, I notice how people interact in any given circumstance and I can see their tells, you know. But I honor those because there's lots of different things. If you notice a lot of things, you can do a lot of, there are a lot of choices you have as to what you're going to do with that information. And I choose to use that information to help and assist and support and, and hopefully create a safe space so that people can see themselves as worthy and good and, and also as valuable. Mm. Proficiencies. What have you learned to do well over time? I think I've learned to be more disciplined, right? Mm. And, you know, and I think... You know, there are things that you're naturally good at. And then there are things that I think you just have to develop as you mature as a person. And one of them is I have learned not to jump to conclusions. And mm -hmm. I've learned to accept that folks are who they are. And, we're, and most of us are just trying to get, you know, through a day. Right. And mm -hmm. and it's not my job. It's my job to help give people opportunities and to support them and to work to enable them to be their best selves. But, you know, individuals have to make their own choices. And, and I can tell you as somebody who cares a lot, it's sometimes hard to take a step back. But I've learned to respect people's choices, even if some of those choices make me kind of sad sometimes. Mm problem solvers. What do people come to you to solve in a unique way? I think people come to me because if you want to have a conversation with me, then I will be honest with you about what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to make judgments. I'm not going to have opinions. But you, uh, people come to me when they're trying to brainstorm through an issue and they're trying to find a pathway forward and they're not really sure how to do that. And people come to me when um, they need an emotional safe space to say whatever they have to say, and they know I'm not going to take it personal. And But they also know that I'm also not going to pull any punches with them, that I, I'm going to say, here's what I'm hearing. Here's an observation. Have you considered the you know other perspectives? And you know, really kind of help them to puzzle through the problem as opposed to give in just to the emotion, right? If you really want, mm. if you want to come to me, then come to me because you have a sincere desire to move things forward. And then let's work on that problem together. Love it. So Dr. David Ireland has a quote that says, show me where you fail and I'll show you why you're going to 
be successful. And when we think about that, we can say that in hindsight in many cases, but the foresight is not always there. And so this last segment is what I consider to be your secrets. And this is you speaking to me, but you're actually talking or imagining that you're speaking to your younger self. So what one secret would you share with your younger self to help accelerate them from where they are at that moment in time to where you are today? I think, you know, I would tell my younger self to have more compassion for self and to be less self-critical, right? I mean, we all have our we all have our voices inside of ourselves that that we've picked up from lots of places, right? From all the places in our life, from all the people that we have you know, been connected to in in our lives. And, you know, I did not grow up in the most supportive environments. And so the voices that I carried with me as a young adult were um, not very compassionate towards that self and could be pretty, pretty brutal at times. And so my, (laughs) my, advice would to be would be to give that person a big hug and say you know you you got to get let yourself off the hook once in a while you know you're not perfect you'll never be perfect it's okay but there are ways that you can celebrate who you are and what you are and value who you are and what you are and and that can be enough sometimes hmm How important is it for you to apply the principles of being consistent with your niche at the start of your journey? I think consistency, particularly when you're working with distributed organizations, is, is, you know, it's a fundamental. I think you can't build trust if you're if you don't have some consistency, because, you know, in remote situations where you're dealing with people you're dealing with them episodically right like you and I are having an interaction it was scheduled we are having a wonderful conversation but the plain fact is is that you know when we leave I gotta trust that you're gonna treat this conversation with respect you gotta trust that I'm bringing my best self to the interaction and asking and and acting with sincerity and and authenticity right that i'm being genuine and so i think making sure that there's clarity you did a really nice job really prepping me so that i understood what was happening i had an opportunity to listen to your wonderful podcasts and really kind of hear your voice and that made me feel comfortable because I was I was saying Cliff is is very consistent in how he treats people, how, you know, his tone of voice, and and that helped me to be able to come here and open up and be authentic with you because I was like, here's a guy I can have a conversation with. Mm, well, I appreciate that, and just so you know, you get the star today. <laughs> <laughs> The teacher gets the star. (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) You know, but in all seriousness, it is really about the guests. It's interesting that you brought this up because I was thinking today on my drive home that, you know, my desire is really to create a platform where the guests could be highlighted. 
You know, it's 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 kind of I feel like the backstage manager who sets the stage puts the cue on the mark that's going to be the best lighting possible for the guests who's stepping out on the stage. And so I really appreciate your kind words and also the encouragement because that is encouraging to me. You never know how someone's receiving what's being offered to them. So thank you for doing that. So John Maxwell actually says in Maximum Impact, he says a belief is not just an idea a person possesses. It is an idea that possesses a person. Yeah. What encouragement would you give to your younger self at that point in which they feel like giving up? You know, it's interesting. Values, right? It's easy to talk about values. Living values on a day-to-day basis can be really hard because the plain fact is, is that it requires you to kind of step up in different circumstances Mm. and sometimes put yourself at risk. What I would say to my younger self is I would say, thanks for being so courageous in difficult times. And I know you feel like you let yourself down once in a while because maybe you weren't as brave as you thought. But, but you know, given the circumstances and all of those things, you kept at it. You kept learning. You got better. You never quit. And those are things you should be proud of. Mm. Love it. How do you know when it's time to stay focused on your goal versus changing course? I think part of it is you got to trust your gut, right? You know, there's a point in time where things have kind of run their course where and whether that was sometimes it was a job that had run its course where, you know, I just needed more challenge. Sometimes it was an organization where I felt like the values weren't aligned. Sometimes it was a problem that I was really fixated on that, you know, as an entrepreneur, because I was in corporate America until 2008, but in 2009, I started my entrepreneur journey. I started my businesses in the middle of the financial crisis. Mm. And learning how to be an entrepreneur then was very, very challenging because it was not what I had imagined, but, you know, the circumstances required it of me and one of the things that I would say to anybody in those circumstances is you know appreciate that you gotta know your own limits you know and you gotta actually trust your gut when an idea has run its course and it's just not gonna come to fruition the way you thought maybe it's a great idea but maybe it's not the right time You know, remember before COVID, a lot of people thought I was crazy. (laughs) And um, COVID COVID was not a business strategy. (laughs) 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 Right. It was a disruption. Innovation could either be born or at times it could be, you know, called upon. Yes, it could be thrust upon you. So I appreciate that. You know, it is an anonymous quote that really bow ties our entire talk today. And it basically says, don't go where the path may lead. Go where there is no path and leave a trail. And so I believe that's exactly what you did. If somebody were to get in contact with you, how would they do that? So they can find me on LinkedIn, Marianne Snow, and you can DM me because I I look at every direct message that gets sent to me. Sophia, S-O-P-H-A-Y-A dot com. Contact me through the website or the Remote Nation 
remoteworks.org, which is the Remote Nation Institute. Please come see us, you know, talk to us. If you have a question, I'd love, love, love to talk to you about it. And if you have experiences or you have an interest in building a remote professional career, we're talking to people all the time now. So... Well, you know, and for those who are just tuning in for the first time, if you're interested in learning more how you can find your niche, maybe you have a desire in which you feel like you have a gut design that's basically telling you that you have something of value to offer. Maybe you feel unqualified or maybe you do know what you have to offer, but you're just trying to find a way to make it clearer. You can visit us on dreamoctane.org and we can schedule a free 30 minute consult with you to see how we can best help to accelerate your progress towards success. And so we believe that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dream and ability could be its fuel. We want to thank Mary Ann Snow for being on our program today. Much success to you. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with us and to the whole Niche Finder community. Thank you for being a part of this. We look forward to having the very next guest on our program when you tune in the next time that can help you on your journey towards success. Thanks again.